We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Are you crying? No. Are you crying? Are you crying? There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. You think football is still fun? Uh, yes. Sir. Yes, no. No? Sir, sir uh, it was fun. Not anymore, though, is it? Is it? No, not by No, it's not fun anymore. Not even a little bit. Just look at that. He hit the fall. That gets a free stay. <laughs> you having fun yet? Oh, yeah. I'm having a blast. Thanks. Good. All right. Welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the podcast where all movies are sports movies. On today's episode, we're talking journalism, journalism movies with New York Times bestselling author Jeff Perlman returning to the pod. Uh, all I can say about today's episode, we're just talking about a bunch of damn good movies. Really excited for it. Uh, as always, want to shout out our Patreon group for supporting the show, especially our big chill producer level patrons. That is Aaron Figueroa, Mike Schubert, Steve Rogers, Kevin Frost, Mike D, Ryan Yeager, Mike Trish, James Kowalewski, Chris Mikoski, Andrew Teagle, John Craig, Sam Smith, Zach Rich, Jason Alba, and Classic Stadium Fire. Big thanks to them and all of our patrons for supporting this show. Also, shout out to one of our patrons, Zachary Sheldon. It's his birthday, so happy birthday, Zachary. Uh, if you go to patreon.com slash big screen sports, join these folks. You can vote on movies for the show to cover. You got two polls up now for movies in October. Patrons getting two choices. They might get three, depending on how, how the rest of October shakes out uh, the October schedule. You get schedule updates. You get ad-free episodes. You get merch. Uh, all while supporting the show, making this thing run. Again, big thanks to all the patrons. And if you want to support the show for free, tell a friend who likes movies. Just text them up, hit them on Discord, whatever it might be. Tell them, check out the show. Uh, so with that, Jeff Perlman, he's back on the show. Go pre-order his book, The Last Folk Heroes, on Bo Jackson. It's coming out soon. It's going to be a great one. Uh, link, to, link to pre-order is going to be in the show notes. Check that out. Glad he could take the time. Let's talk his top five favorite journalism movies. All right, joining in tonight on Big Screen Sports, returning to the show, uh, I don't know if he is, he, he's definitely in the top three of, of most guest appearances on Big Screen Sports. I did not do the math beforehand, but he is a New York Times bestselling author, uh, Jeff Perlman. Jeff, welcome back to Big Screen Sports. Uh, come on, it's one of my favorite, uh, it's one of my favorite experiences. So here I sit. It is always, always a pleasure to have you back on. And, and, Great to have you at a time where, Jeff, you have a new book coming out very, very soon. Tell the folks about your new book. It's called uh, Last Folk Hero. It's a biography of Bo Jackson. Comes out October 25th. I interviewed 720 people. It's probably the most people I've ever interviewed. Um, fascinating, fascinating guy who I just want to say ran a 41340 weighing 220 pounds. 
and ran a 4-1-9-40 in Raiders camp wearing a helmet and pads. There's my dog. So if that doesn't do it for you, nothing will. And his first big league hit, he beat out a ground ball to second base. And I just want to say, I interviewed everybody involved in that. So I interviewed Tim Hewlett playing second, Russ Mormon playing first. Um, the whole thing was insane. Yeah, it's my favorite highlight of Bo Jackson's might be his first major league at bat. It's just art. The whole thing from beginning to end is art. It's amazing. It's amazing. And where where can the folks get it? Uh, what's the what's what's the rundown there? I know are it's, it's, on, it's on bookshop bookshop.org, right? Is bookshop.org is the the best place to buy online books? I, I would say Amazon Amazon has the list, but Yeah. I don't know. I don't even know. You know, you can buy it wherever you want, but it's available everywhere and you know, you can just go to kyle.com and get it at a uptick. Perfect. Yeah. I, I should if if I if only I would have bought that uh Bought that URL years ago. Bought yeah. that site. How much time did you spend in Bessemer for that? Uh, I think about a week I was there. And it was during pandemic. And it was actually great because I hadn't traveled much. And it was my first real trip after the pandemic was traveling to, of all places, Bessemer, Alabama. And I went to his street where he uh, where he grew up. And um, it was this dirt road in this really dilapidated part of town. I was knocking on doors, interviewing neighbors, interviewing people who live there. It was everything I love about journalism. I know, and in, in with this one, if I if I remember correctly, and I guess I'm we're we're delaying what we're talking about tonight because I'm just so curious about it. I have you right before this book comes out. Um, you didn't, Bo didn't directly sit for this, but he did. He did wish you, I guess, wish you best wishes. Eh, he did. We spoke for about I don't know 30, 40 minutes on the phone. Oh, I okay. Sent him, well, I sent him my, uh, I sent him a bunch of my other books, and I sent him a note, and he basically said. Um, not going to help you, uh, but I understand why you're doing it. I don't have a problem with you doing it, but I'm not going to help you. A lot of people want to write bow books and blah, blah, blah. And that was it. But it was fine. He was cool. So when you get that, who were the, I've got to get these people. Is there, is there anyone who's like crucially important? If I don't get them, it doesn't work. No, I've never felt that way with a book, but um, there's certain people who are really important. Like uh, Hal Baird was his coach at, at uh his baseball coach at Auburn, his football coach, Pat Dye, is deceased. Like, um, you know, Lionel James, the running back at Auburn, who actually died this year, but he, I spoke to him for hours, and he was hugely important. So, you know, just finding teammates and, and old coaches. But I, I mean, the thing is this, the truth of the matter is, it wouldn't be a great book, but, like, if I didn't interview anyone, Bo Jackson has done a million interviews in his life. So you could write a Bo Jackson book without interviewing anyone. It wouldn't be good. But there are, you know, time has passed for a lot of interviews. I don't know. Bad answer. I don't really have a great answer for you. Well, I'm I'm very much looking forward to it. Uh, we were talking before we started recording about the, um, the the thirty for thirty. I think Bo knows was was what it was called, and that brought Bo Jackson, I think, to my generation because we all like I knew who Bo Jackson was, mm-hmm. but hadn't really like dove into the the lore. Like we didn't, you know, he was he was done. What he was cooked at like in ninety ninety four. Yeah, hung it up. Last season. Yeah, so I was three. Um, but I'm yeah, bragging about your youth. <laughs> Getting old, man. We get it. You're younger than me. Hey, I got, I got, I got to get it where I can get it. You yeah. know. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I spent all week being the old guy who didn't know who Young Gravy was at the VMA. So I'm, I'm having to. You don't know who Young Gravy is. I, I until this week I had no idea who Young Gravy was. I don't know who he is either. 
Yeah. yeah. I, it was, it was tough. I've, I've become that person. I had no idea. Yeah. Like it was all over Twitter. And I was like, I don't know what a young gravy is. Now you got to start complaining about that hippity hop. These kids listen to and you're, you're no. that's, that's, that's my go-to. Uh, yeah. that, that's my go-to. So Jeff, your, your background, uh, this is your, you know, your New York times bestselling author. You've been in the, in the book business mm-hmm. for, you know, two decades now. Since since again, bad guys want to make me feel old, but yeah, I'm just I'm I'm just I'm laying out the experience of why you're the perfect person for this episode. My first in book that, was 2003, so sure. Yeah, so in that time, you've also you know you've been freelancing steadily. Um, you mm-hmm. just wrote an incredible piece for for Golf Digest. Um, we're not going to get into it because I don't want to cry, but incredible piece. Uh, everyone everyone go check that out. So you've been in, on that side of journalism. Yep. Th- before that, you were at Sports Illustrated. When Sports Illustrated was Sports Illustrated, yep. You you broke in at the Tennessean, yep. And you all you also you know wrote for your college paper. You have been there at every every step of the way Correct. in journalism. So Correct. we're here today to talk about. Obviously, it's a movie podcast. We're we're going to talk about journalism movies, newsroom movies. Um, and you have said before on this show that you're not, you, you both, you have said this and your wife has said this, you're not a fun person to watch sports movies with because a lot of sports movies get the sports wrong. That drives you crazy. We've talked about that. We've talked about that in length with, uh, with a few movies. I think like we are Marshall. We had a, we had a nice good roasting session on, um, 42, uh, we were pretty lukewarm on with something with with journalism with your profession now your profession is also sports in a way you've covered sports for you know, as long as you have um are you a better person to watch journalism movies with than you are sports movies no i'm the same it drives me crazy i can't the depiction of report first of all over the years i can't even think of the movies or tv shows but there's the one that gets me the most is the female reporter willing to sell sex to, you know, get an interview, which n- n- never happened, like never happened. And that whole thing gets old. The cliches about the grumpy old newspaper guy, rah, 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 headlines, you know, the kind of, you know, just every cliche, they hit every cliche and it drives me crazy. So no, I'm just as bad a, uh, I'm just as bad with media films as I am with sports movies. So what do the good ones do though? Because you talk about there are sports movies you enjoy. We've talked about, um, I think the only movie that you enjoy legitimately, this is in the non like teen wolf category that we've, that we've covered on the show is McFarland USA. Um, which we, we liked a lot about that movie and you ran cross country Yes. when, when it journal, what are, what are beats that journalism movies hit that, that allow you to get past whatever inauthenticities they have to start enjoying them. What are, what are some tendencies that good journalism movies have? Well, I think number one, they capture the grind. Like journalism is a grind and really good journalism. Like all the president's men really captures the grind of journalism and the door knocking and the repeated phone calls and annoying people. Like I, it's not all the that, cigarettes too. Yeah. All the well, back then, is a top tier cigarette movie. I mean, when I started my career at the Tennessee and you could, I think they still smoked in the newsroom, you know, 90, I started there in 94. They probably smoked in the newsroom, but the newsroom, the thing is like the newsroom, the old newsroom, old school newsroom, which I really had at the Tennessee and then never again was a magical freaking place. It actually was a magical place. It was like busy. 
and you have TV monitors everywhere and you hear people typing and people complaining and editor yelling at someone, I need that story in five minutes. Well, I mean, you're not going to have it in five minutes. And, and, you know, like a lot of sharing of ideas, hanging out, flirting, uh, eating, like everything. It was like this big, and it was like this real community feel. And when, when movies and TV shows capture that correctly, I love it because it takes me right back. But too often they don't. Too often they just rely on cliches and stupid things or they make reporters look diabolical. Like very few of us are underhanded and manipulative and whatever. Like most of us actually have integrity and want to get the story right and just work our asses off. And a lot of times they just make journalists look like cartoons, which I don't enjoy. So when you when you say it, it takes me right back, do, are there movies that make you... Not like say like I want to go apply for a job at a local paper or something like that, but does it does it give you the feeling of man I miss I miss doing that or really I really want to be in that grinding because I will say that news newsroom and journalism movies like mo- movies cover every career imaginable mm-hmm. and these types of movies and I I think it probably has to do with just kind of like my interest in general like I do I do some writing you know every now and then and so like it appeals to me a little more but there are so many journalism movies some of the stuff we're going to talk about tonight where i'm like man i just i want that like you watch that movie and you're like i want to be in that newsroom or something like that. versus right. like you watch like a stock a stock trading movie and i'm like ah, that still you know good movie i would hate to fucking do that like does, does it bring you back in of i want this now when you when you see that it's like a drug oh 100 i mean the one that really does it for me is almost famous where <sighs> because there's a real magic of being a young journalist and being a young reporter and being, it, it's him going to rock shows was me covering major league baseball. And like when I started SI and I was 24, 25 years old and you're walking into these clubhouses and you're wide eyed and you don't feel like you belong, but you really are excited to be there and you're not jaded yet. Like the beauty of that movie is it really captures the essence of not being jaded. Um, because we all get there at some point. And I love that. I love every beat of that movie, you know, every beat of that movie. And I think some people view that as a kind of a cartoonish film. I don't at all. I actually think it really captures what it is to be a young journalist back in the day following a thing. And, and again, All the President's Men really captures what it is like to be working on a story, hard-nosed, digging, digging, digging in the newsroom. I used to be a police reporter at the Tennessee, and so sitting with a scanner, chasing a hearing something and chasing the story like those are real sort of nostalgic tugs for me and maybe they sucked at the time more than i remember like there's a lot of awkwardness that comes to being a young reporter and discomfort but i mean when movies channel are well i'm all in will you tell your story from when you were on the tennessee because i don't think you've told on this podcast when you when you walked into a crime scene Oh, I mean, the thing is, at the Tennessean, I was such a screw up. I did a million things wrong, but I was, um, I basically was on the police beat as a punishment. I had screwed up so many times in my non-police beat. So my editor, Catherine May, said, we're going to put you on the cop's beat, focus on who, what, where, when, how, and why. That's it. And um, there was a shooting in Nashville at an apartment. I remember the name of the family, the name of the, it was Brothers, the Bottoms. Their last name was Bottoms. And uh, I went to the Bottoms apartment um, to just, see what was going on and I get there and there's police tape but it doesn't say police there's yellow tape across the door and I do the handle and the door is open unlocked and I call my editor Dwight Lewis on my big ass you know size of a foot cell phone portable phone 
And I, uh, I called to ask if I should go in, if I can look inside and he's not there. So they'd say, he'll call me back. And I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. And finally, I'm like, I'm just going to do it. And I open the door and there's blood all over and bullet holes and couch overturned. And my phone rings and it's Dwight. And he says, whatever you do, don't go in the apartment. Don't open that door. And, uh, and I did. And I just, I mean, it was one of a million. There was another one when I was a cops reporter. I went, um, they sent me undercover on a prostitution sting, which is magical. And any young reporter listening, if you ever get those opportunities, you have to do it. And they basically... It was at an abandoned or a crap motel in Nashville. And at first I was in a, they had a surveillance vehicle across the street. Then an undercover female officer working as a hooker, a bunch of cops in the room and she would lure people in and they would jump out. And at first I was across the street in a surveillance vehicle, but then they let me go in with the, in the bathroom with the cops. So I was in the bathroom as they're luring in people. And I'm there for this one where they jump out and the guy just petrified and they make him sit on the bed, they cuff him and his wallet's on the, on the, on the bed. And he was trying to pay 40 bucks for oral sex. And the next I wrote, I went back to the paper. I sit at my desk. I write my lead and my lead to the story is, I don't remember his name, but all John Smith wanted was a blowjob. And I was in the Bible belt. And I remember my editor, a guy named Ted power, just holding his head in his hands. He's like, you can't Jeff. We can't Jeff. You can't We're in the Bible belt, Jeff. You can't write that. So I had some fun, but I was a screw up all the time. So one of the things that news I think a, a common theme in these journalism movies is a lot of the time we are seeing these guys, these men or women working on the story. Like this is, mm-hmm. you know, the, like it's a, it's a big story. It's something like, this is the one that they're going to blow the cover off this, you know, it, this investigation or something like that, or even like with almost famous, it is his first, like his first big break, you know, going, you know, touring with, uh, with Stillwater. Yeah. How, when you get into the newsroom, there's my dog, both of our dogs chiming in. Oh, yeah. uh, when you get into the newsroom, like as a, you know, as a young reporter, how much is, and, and by then, you know, all the president's men has come out. There've been a bunch of newsroom journalism, movies, whatever. Like how much is I'm working on this story? Cause a lot of the times in the movie, it seems like it's literally the only thing they do with their life. Like how much is I'm working on this? I'm working on this big story versus I'm going undercover and I've got a million other things to do. And I'm, you know, where's my big story? I mean, it does happen. It does happen where you're working on the story and you know, it's the story. I mean, like at the beginning, you know, Woodward and Bernstein didn't know Watergate was going to be Watergate, but it became Watergate. And after a while you do find yourself. The thing I was never a, um, very rarely, I was not really a hard news reporter. Right. So my stuff was mainly features and sports. So I wasn't, I was rarely working on the investigative story. Like when I wrote that John Rocker story, it's not like I knew that was going to become quote unquote, the John Rocker story. I thought it was just a profile. So I think most of the times the thing is good reporting creates stories. It's not like the idea is usually just a blossom and good reporting creates a story. So most of the time I believe in newsrooms and such, you're working on a story, you report your ass off and it becomes the story. And then all of a sudden you're like, wow, I'm working on the story. And that's, I think, I guess two of my favorites. So you mentioned all the presidents, man. There's another one I'm sure we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. Do that, like start with something that's very like in the, the in the movie, especially the start with something offhanded, very small and it becomes, becomes sure. the, the full story before we get into it. Uh, before we get into your top five, I okay. put a poll up for, for our Patreon group. And just, I put a bunch of choices asked, you know, what to, to the group, what is, what is the best journalism movie? And I might've made a mistake oh. because there was a clear winner 
and I'm not sure I should have added to the poll. I will defer to you. Is Anchorman a journalism movie? No. I mean, it's funny. Have you seen Anchorman 2? No, I didn't. Anchorman 2, I would tell you to give it a chance because Anchorman 2 is like four movies in one. It's still really funny, but Anchorman 2 is actually a genius commentary on the rise of cable news and what our, our cable news structure looks like now. Like, I think you personally would really, really enjoy it. All right. I uh, I didn't love Anchorman. I'm the guy who didn't love Anchorman. I was like, yeah, it's okay. Did you tell Adam McKay that when you met for for winning time? Most definitely. In fact, as I was saying that, I was thinking, did Adam McKay do that? And he did. No, I did not tell him that. But he can. I'm sure he hasn't loved all my books or even read them all. So you know, or even. That's fair. That's fair. Um. So yeah, I I would say give Anchorman to a shot and and the strictly for the cable news commentary because I know how you feel about cable news. Um. So let's. I want to run through your top five. We'll kind of okay. chat about them, and then ones that do not get mentioned that I that I would like to bring up. We'll we'll talk about. So what what would your number five top journalism movie be? Okay, my number five would be uh, Frost Nixon. Did you see Frost Nixon? I did see Frost Frost Nixon. Loved it. My, Michael Sheen, Frank Langella. Yeah, I thought it was stuff. great. I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was really smart. I thought it accurately. If you ever have actually seen the interview, it captured it really well. I thought it captured the essence of Nixon really well. I also thought it captured what it is to be a journalist trying to get something from a subject, which is not easy. And it's really the thing about journalism. I'm sorry about my dog. This is a dog friendly show. If I did, if I did dog sponsored, it'd be a big, big episode. for Nice. The thing about journalism is a lot of it is salesmanship and you are trying to get like, you're trying to get people to open up and it is a give and take and it is a tap dance. And it's a little bit of salesmanship and it's a little bit of coercion to a certain degree. And I thought that movie really captured it well, this idea that this negotiated sort of conversation and where you want to take it and where this person doesn't want to take it and sort of that balance and that dance. I found that really, really well done in that movie. I liked that it felt like a boxing match. Right. And because you, if you come into the movie without a ton of prior knowledge, it's like the, but you know, the classic, like the Nixon like the, the, the gotcha line is like when the president does it, it's not illegal or whatever. Wait, just so I understand correctly. Are you really saying that in certain situations, the president can decide whether it's in the best interests of the nation and then do something illegal? I'm saying that when the president does it, that means it's not illegal. Then it's, but it's this like give and take, but mostly like the, I mean, and I guess spoiler if you haven't seen Frost Nixon, but it's Frost, it's Nixon kind of kicking the shit out of Frost for the first part of that interview, just not not giving him anything. Yeah, and it's it's a really interesting. It almost, um, and I was going to ask you this: like, does journalism sometimes feel like sports? Feel like competition in 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 that regard? Because with with Frost, it's like it really is like a boxing match. So I wouldn't say for me with subject. I mean, it's more. It's more like a dance. It really is more like a dance. Like you're, you're feeling people out, and they're feeling you're out, you out, and you're trying to see how far you can go with them and how far they'll go, and they're trying to feel you out and figure out what's your angle and what are you trying to. So it's much more like that. It's competitive with other journalists. I mean, when I was a baseball writer or sports writer, uh, and even now doing books to a certain degree, you kind of just want to win. You want to have the best stuff. You want to have better stuff than the guy next to you in the press box or woman next to you in the press box. Um, so that's how I would say it is. It is very competitive though. Cause with that one, he is, the goal is gets, I guess, get something on, not get something on Nixon, but it's like, get some admission and get some insight into what he was up to. 
Yeah. And um, the, the Nixon's caginess and stuff like that in, in the back and forth. And so I guess from your perspective, it sounds like that does that does happen a lot with so especially I'm, I'm I'd imagine you go into interviews hoping to broach certain subject and hoping to get an get an answer on something like key. Like I I'm curious about this. I need I that's but like dance your way to it. Oh yeah, it's super awkward. And um there are little things you learn over the years as you do this. Like uh this sounds basic, but you would and you would think everyone knows it, but they don't, is you never you always throw softballs at the beginning. You have to throw softballs at the beginning. You don't just charge in with, so blah, blah, blah. Even if you're interviewing someone after a baseball game and they made a crucial error, you're first going to ask them about the pitcher and how he did or something before you get to that point. And Frost Nixon is a classic example of that. You sort of, you're working and working and working and working them, and then we're going to hit you with this thing. It's oldest trick in journalism. It's really fun. It's it's a really, I, I would I would recommend Frost Six and anyone. Let's take a quick ad break before I forget and get back with Jeff's number four. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, so you're number four. What is your number four top top journalism movie? I'm going with Zodiac. Have you seen Zodiac? Yes. Yes, I have seen Zodiac. I love Zodiac. Okay, look at this letter again, the part about Kathleen Jones. Tell me what facts he gives. A woman and her baby abducted. Mm-hmm. Fact. Uh, uh, the car on fire. Okay, now. Look at the article from the B. Um, Seeing it yet? Everything in the letter already appeared in the article. And he's done it before. Officer Richard Radatich shot sitting in his car. So yeah, claim that he shot someone in their car. Mm-hmm. A couple days after this article came out, the police already had somebody in custody. Zodiac didn't do it, but took credit for it anyway because he's in it for the press. I mean, if my wife, if my wife can hear this interview right now, she's probably rolling her eyes for how often I either talk about Zodiac or, or mention Zodiac. Great. Is it a journalism movie? Kind of like it is the first, more, the first hour I think is a journalism movie. And then it's more like a suspense thriller, but um, movie's great. I think it's, it's, I'd say it's Jake's best movie. You know, I think for, for my money, oh. no. best yeah, well, he, he's made, he's made some really interesting choices from like the Zodiac thing on, like he worked with David Fincher and it's like, okay, I'm going to be, I'm going to make some, some interesting, interesting choices. Like prisoners is really good and stuff like that. But yeah, so, I mean, Zodiac, all that to say, is one of my favorite movies ever. So, yeah, that's his best movie. Interestingly, Jake Gyllenhaal called out recently by Taylor Swift 
in her 10 minute video for dating her when she was like 19 and he was 31. Oh or yeah. Like that. So that, that was, that was a big deal in this household. Oh, was it? Oh yeah. And then Demi Lovato comes out with the song uh, 29. Do you know that one? I did that. That was not oh. as big a deal in this household. <laughs> you need to hear that song. It's so good. Anyway, Zodiac is great. The acting is great. It's suspenseful throughout. Um, I mean, just the cast, the big three, Ruffalo, Gillenthal, Robert Downey Jr., um, Anthony Edwards, it's a great cast. I think it captures the, the scent, the place, you know, San Francisco. I just, it's a great movie. It's a great, it's a great movie. San Francisco movie. Mm-hmm. That newsroom, that era is so, is so special. And so, you know, just everything that's going on. I, I have to ask when you watch these movies and like that one gives you Robert Downey Jr. Is, is Paul Avery. And that's when like reporters were known around the city and, and things like that. Did you, when you watch these movies, do you, do you see characters and be like, I, I, we had a Paul Avery, we had a sure. nervous cartoonist, you sure. know, we stuff. Like I don't that. remember if we had a nervous cartoonist, but like, again, especially at the Tennessean, which is really where I cut my teeth. Um, all those characters, we had old grumpy editors and we had young spunky people like myself. We had racist, old racist guys. We had people smoking cigarettes in the back. We had, you name it across the board. And when I see, again, when I see old school newspaper and journalism movies like that, it does take me back to a place. And I would say it does bum me out a little that modern journalists don't get a taste for that. Like most modern journalists now are working from home and they're working off a laptop. Or like when I started the Tennessee and the Tennessee used to be this grand building in downtown Nashville. And it was a true newspaper town. Nashville, Tennessee and Nashville Banner were competing against each other. And that drove you. And nowadays, newspapers barely exist. And they, their partners were so-and-so. They're falling out. And that magic is kind of gone. And that breaks my heart. And one of the things that that movie does well, especially early uh, with, with Downey juniors, he kind of, he kind of runs the roost and there's the, that culture of, all right, it's, you know, it's noon. Let's, let's go to the bar and let, let's get loaded at the middle of the day and then come, come back and, and do whatever, which is really fun. It's one, you know, it's funny. One of the things I miss out on as a journalist was the heavy drinking days. I'm not a big drinker, but it just seemed kind of cool that like when I was at sports illustrated used to have, they would all go to the bar to the barn, like the bar, you know, and at the Tennessee and there was a bar around the corner and they'd all go to the bar. And by the time I came along, I missed the bar. I do think, I really do think alcohol is a major, major character in old school journalism. You know, like it's just drinking was a big part of being a reporter. Being a reporter is a all hours, grimy, hard scrabble kind of way to make a living certainly was. And alcohol definitely numbed me, you know, numb the soul a little bit well in a lot of these movies there's the you uh you you like watching the character who can who can uh like make his way you know blend in in these seedy establishments and go chase down sources in these bars or in the strip club downtown or, or whatever it might be like i think that's kind of a especially in the the older movies like 70s and earlier there's there's that that intrepid reporter who's not you know he's not afraid to slum it he's not afraid to have a bunch of cocktails at 10 a.m. and and go to all these places and I think Zodiac does that I mean that's when Downey I think that is his last movie before Iron Man so before he gets into Marvel and he's awesome or he started doing shit just for the money you know it was like a, <laughs> that was like a I mean I'm, I'm sure you love that I you know 
I have no interest. This makes me sound like old grumpy grump. I actually used to love superhero movies, but they just like, I don't know. I like, I, I feel like Zodiac has an authenticity to it. Oh, and yeah. There was, you know, obviously there's not much authenticity in playing Iron Man. Yeah. Well, Good for him, but he's rich. Yeah. No, we, uh, the, I remember that I loved the first Iron Man. We actually just did the Marvel finally, like, watch, like, caught up with everyone. And Downey in general is just, I mean, the guy, the guy kills it no matter, no matter what movie's in. But it's, it's think Downey had a chance. Nothing's wrong with what he's done. Like, to be clear, nothing is wrong. And we all live and die, and who gives a shit, really? But I feel like he had a chance to kind of go the Clooney Denzel route and be considered in that pantheon, Tom Hanks, Denzel, Clooney, those guys. And he decided not to, and that's fine. It's totally fine. But I do think he is of a, that talent level. I, I, I fully agree. I mean, he got nominated for an Oscar in his early twenties, I think for Chaplin, but then there's the, I mean, there's the period where he almost just killed himself. Like he threw right. away, you know, he threw away like 10 years and I don't know, maybe you get to that point and you're like, I've got the chance to secure this incredible bag and I'm sober and healthy and I'm just going to, going to take the safe stuff. But like, yeah, when he, there, there were times in the Marvel period where he, he would zag and like take but he took a role in like the judge with Robert Duvall, which ended up not being very good. Like that's when you try to make, you know, I'm going to make a play for the, in the sap movie that might, you know, get me an Oscar, but like in, in Zodiac, I mean, he's amazing, amazing. And, the the Fincher aspect of it, like he he brings in kind of like you said, he brings in that world. Like he's and I mean he's the guy who will do like ninety six takes until he gets it right. But he the how studious he was to to bring in that world and how good that newsroom looks and everything like that. Like that's a movie that shouldn't be that rewatchable. It's incredibly long. There are parts where you could say it's slow. All the action, the quote unquote action, happens. All the murders happened i think in the first 20 minutes of the movie oh, it's funny. and there's yeah. and the, yeah and there's and there's not another but then it's just this long um and i that kind of touches on a, a journalism aspect too and I, I i guess if we're bringing this into real life and that it becomes this long story and there's no there's no real end no one ever truly truly solves it the zodiac kind of fizzles out and and goes away are you know have you dealt with stories like that where it's like we're getting to this big climax and then it just it's gone oh yes actually um it's the worst actually you work on stories for a long period of time you think it's going to be great that actually happens a lot where you think a story is going to be great and either it loses steam or actually you lose steam i think that's a pretty common thing that happens to journalists is you you're really into it the funny thing is, I, it's, I talked to one of the writers from uh, Winning Time recently, and I said, when, what is the best time for you for an idea? And he's like, when I think of it, and it's always downhill ever from that moment on. And a lot of times that's true with articles too. Like you have this idea, you're really ambitious, you think this is going to be great. And either the more you report it, the less dazzled you are, or you just get tired of doing the same thing and move on to something else. So definitely is it that. ever hard to give up on something that there's a conversation in Zodiac where uh, Gyllenhaal is, is uh, trying to, he's trying to get information from, from Ruffalo, from the detective. He's just trying to get the detective pointing away. And he says, and J he just basically Ruffalo tells Gyllenhaal first, like too much time has passed. No one cares. Like there were 200 murders in San Francisco last year. Like you're no one, no one cares about this. Do you ever have to tell yourself like, I need to give up on this? Okay, so I think the closest I came to that, and a lot of the people came to that, was steroids and baseball, where 
it, it started to feel like the only people who cared about it were the journalists. And you actually have to ask yourself, how important is this story? And is this more important? Is this more important than people caring? You know, like, it's kind of like if people all of a sudden, like everything going on with Trump now and the classified documents, right? Let's say the numbers weren't big on those stories. The Washington Post, New York Times, they all track their stories, how many people click on them, blah, blah, blah. If the numbers weren't great, sometimes you just need to do the story because it's an important story, even if people don't see it. And that was the debate with steroids after a while. Okay, we get it. We get it. They're using steroids. We get it. Can't we just enjoy baseball? And I think a lot of writers said yes. And I think some of the writers said, well, this is more important than that. This is actually a big story. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good example. Okay. So we, we've talked about what, I mean, one of my hits, what is your, that was your number four. What is your number three? Uh, I'd say all the presidents, man, which is a great classic classic. And just, I've, you got know, a, I've got a picture of it right up there. There you go. I mean, it's, it's an all timer. It's an all timer. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, it's probably the, uh, it's probably the Babe Ruth of sports films, which is to say, I mean, of um, journalism films, which is many people have it at number one, they're right to have it at number one. You can't argue against it. Um, but sometimes you feel like some more, you know, Mickey Mantle comes along or Willie Mays comes along and you think, well, these are, maybe these are better, but you can't argue against the classic. It is the classic. Forget the myths that the media has created about the White House. The truth is, these are not very bright guys and things got out of hand. Hunt's come in from the cold. Supposedly, he's got a lawyer with $25,000 in a brown paper bag. They follow the money. What do you mean? Where? Oh, I can't tell you that. But you could tell me that. No, I have to do this my way. You tell me what you know, and I'll confirm. I'll keep you in the right direction if I can, but that's all. Yeah, it's um that one is so it's funny, it's I think now it would be deemed like if it came out now, I feel like it'd be deemed slow, like for what modern films are, but it's so it's so I think it gets the meticulous nature. I think it's one of the ones that like when I watch it, it, it might be the number one and this makes me want to be a journalist or want to dive into a newsroom because of just the constant the reporting and it feels like everything that they get every little scoop it's like they're scooping like inch by inch by inch by inch just like name by name by name there's and correct me if i'm wrong there's not like a huge break in that movie and it, it doesn't end with them like breaking water it ends with nixon getting inaugurated but it's it's such a slow tedious process i think in a really good way i mean that's sort of what journalism is I mean, I can speak from the book writing vantage point. That's 100% what it is, which is you have this thing you want to chase or you want to find and you make one call and then you make two calls. And maybe the second call tells you, you need to call this guy and you call that guy. And he says, you should call her and you call her and it leads you all over the place and you get very frustrated and you think I'm never going to get this. And then there's some breakthrough or someone mentions, someone can mention a tiny little thing that they don't think anything else of. That doesn't even mean that much to them, but you're like, oh my God, I can't believe that person just said that. You write it down, you circle it, you make that call. Like that's sort of, in a lot of ways, reporting at its best is the dig, the dig, the dig. And I really think that movie captures the sort of essence of 
step by step by step journalism leading you to a bigger place. When uh, when we covered we covered Top Gun on the show, my often co-host Caroline, who who served in the Navy and in, in, um, in the Naval Aviation Program, mentions that a lot when when she when she was serving that a lot of people behaved like goose and maverick like top gun just influenced naval behavior all the lines all the you know the need for speed stuff like that did you see because of when all the president's men came out anything like that did did that trickle into to newsrooms like was that around was being i want to be the next woodward and bernstein is that like hanging over like acting like that you know i'm not that old right I know you're not that old. Okay, I understand. Exactly. I understand. I understand when it came out and when it was still a 20 year gap. I understand. Yeah. I understand. But in terms of from that movie was the journalism. I mean, that held the mantle for. I think that movie made a lot of people want to become journalists. Like, I think that is the impact It made people want to become journalists and see the sort of. Maybe glamour is not quite the right word, but see the spark and the, the beauty of it. And. You know, I. I, journalism is the best freaking job in the world. It truly is. It's the best job in the world. It's a lot of grind. It's a lot of hard work. But like, you really can make a difference and you really can impact people and impact lives. And I feel like that movie really captured it very well. Very, very well. The impact of these two reporters. And I, I still find that very inspiring. Like, really inspiring. Yeah, and um, if anyone... I don't know. Did you ever listen to the Slow Burn podcast on Watergate? No, I need to. My wife keeps saying I need to. Yeah, excellent. And as someone who only had seen, I had seen all the president's men, I had seen Frost Nixon, and I understood growing up that Watergate was a bad thing and Nixon resigned. And I never realized, kind of really similar to to certain things, how many, like how hard Nixon and his folks and his party worked to get him off, like get him off scot-free to make this go. I mean, it's, it's why, it's why Reagan got away with Iran Contra is because there was enough people for a long enough time pushing to make this go away and saying, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal, but it took that reporting to eventually lead to that congressional investigation that eventually made had Nixon resign. And like, if they hadn't kept, kept pushing that and found out there were tapes and things like that, like he would have, he would have remained in power and Watergate would have, would have gone away. And it's that, I think it shows the, this, and then one other, I'm sure we're going to talk about shows how important, how much change can come from good journalism and from like that bulldog mentality. Yeah, absolutely. Also, I think it's funny how everything you just said applies to modern the modern political scene too. And, and one thing that's always disappointing is like the old quote from uh, Santayana is those who forget the lessons of the past are doomed to repeat it. But we always repeat it. We always repeat it. Everything you just described, we're repeating again. So whatever was supposed to be learned from that, that era, maybe some people learned it, but as a culture, as a society, we have not. Well, that's where listening to the slow burn uh, season was a big time wake up because I always had this assumption of, oh, well, if something truly, truly bad is happened, you know, bipartisanship exists and, and people will be, be accountable and, and oh. hold the, hold the president or hold whoever accountable and say, this is bad. This is, this is unacceptable. But seeing how hard Republicans push to keep Nixon in office and make it go away, make it go away, make it go away. And then, you know, we've seen the same thing, <laughs> the same exact thing happen, make it go away. This isn't a big deal. It, make go away, make go away, make go away. 
Uh, so yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, let's, okay. Let's move in. You're number two. Uh, almost famous, man. Almost famous. Hey, I met you. You are not cool. I know. Even when I thought I was, I knew I wasn't. Because we are uncool. Now, while women will always be a problem for guys like us, most of the great art in the world is about that very problem. Good-looking people, they got no spine. Their art never lasts. Then they get the girls. But we're smarter. Yeah, I can really see that now. Because yeah, great art is about you know, guilt and longing and love disguises sex and sex disguises love hey let's face it hey, you got a big head start i'm glad you were home i'm always home i'm uncool love it love everything about it it's one of two movies i show to my journalism class every year when i teach it's magical it's not a super deep movie you know it's like a light movie it's a camera crow movie makes me so happy it's just a joyful movie and the scene when they're all singing um Wait, Tiny Dancer? Yeah, Tiny yes, Dancer. Tiny Dancer on the bus. Yeah. It's joyful. I, I mean, I love everything about it. I think Kate Hudson is like magnetic in that movie. Um, uh, I just, I love it. I love everything about that film. And it's a beautiful, I've seen it probably 10 times. It's awesome. Oh, yeah. I mean, so you showed to your journal, after you showed to your journalism class, I understand that people should probably just sign up and, and you know, attend your journalism class. But if you're giving, what's the, what's the lecture? Look like what are you pointing out from Almost Famous, or is it just like, hey, enjoy this great movie? It's the end of the it's the end of the year, so I usually show one movie to my class, and we do like a party. So I'm not really trying to teach anything, but I do tell them how like, like my whole thing I always preach is the joy of journalism, you know, and like the joy and the and the the ride. And I always say this is why I always say, I always say when I was in college at Delaware, I had two roommates. And one decided to go work for a bank and he still works for a bank. And the other guy decided to be a lawyer and he's still a lawyer. And there's nothing wrong with those professions, but they basically work five days for two. And when you're a journalist, you're never working five days for two. Like I never am like, I can't wait for the weekend to be here. I never had that thought since I graduated in 1994, like the adventure and the ride. And like, I mean, you know, my career, like knocking on strange doors and talking to people you would never normally talk to. And one day you'll find yourself in the projects of, Marin City and the next day you find yourself in a poppy field and the, like it's unbelievable and I feel like that movie captures it perfectly that joy and you've got these two journalists in the polar opposites of optimism I guess we, we got our main character William who is still you know the first time out very very like full of gumption and belief and then you've got Philip Seymour Hoffman's character of Lester Banks okay. who is just as disgruntled he is R.I.P. Just what a what a joy he is oh. in that movie. But a really yep. interesting in in the polar opposites. But his his performance, I, I think he get we get three scenes with him. Really, it's when he's at the radio. It's when him and William meet, and then a couple phone calls, and he just knocks them all out of the park. I mean, how many days did he probably put in on that movie? I'm guessing a week. He oh, probably put that, a week, right? If that, I mean, he's he's he's. I mean, he was amazing in everything. There's. I mean, my favorite line seen. favorite line in that movie has nothing to do with journalism. It's when they're on the plane. The plane's about to crash, and the drummer says. Fuck it. I'm I'm gay. And then, <laughs> and then it just levels out right away. <laughs> Love it. So good. I mean, just just to me, we I covered it on the show, I think, last year. And uh it, it's 
it's just a, in, incredible. And, and because it's, I think we've talked about this too, when you can tell that someone has passion for the subject that mm-hmm. they're, that they're writing about and that they're directing this movie about, it comes through a lot with, with, with sports. Um, and like it came through with, with winning time, like the team behind winning time loved basketball. And that was really important. And like Cameron Crowe, this was his story. He yeah. was this guy and that comes through in spades. Yeah, I agree. hundred percent. I love it. Uh, I mean, I love Jerry Maguire, another, you know, kind of similar movie, Cameron Crowe, but like mm-hmm. this, like Cameron Crowe did do Jerry Maguire, right? I'm not yes. Can't, yeah, he did. Yeah. Did Jerry Maguire. But this, and, and that had a certain thing to it. Same kind of thing, but this was just different level. I just, I love everything about it. Okay. You're number one. I think I know you're number one. You do, because you just watched it. My number I one did. is Shattered Glass. A few other people we can't seem to locate. Uh, Julie Farthwork, Frank Juliet, and Ian Russell's agent, Joe Hyatt. We called the numbers you gave us, got voicemails for all three, and the emails were sent back, no address or account closed. Really? Because I've emailed them about a million times each. Hyatt's online all day long. Did you ever call these people and get them directly? No, uh, I always left messages and spoke to them when they called me back. And the references in the article to Nevada law enforcement officials. Was Jim Gort the only one you spoke to? Yes. Do you have a phone number for him? Yeah, definitely. By the way, what was your basis for writing that Juke was a big time software company? Oh, I did. That, that was added by the copy desk. And uh, was the morning. hackers conference where you first met the Juke executives? No, that part of the article is misleading. I uh, I was never in the Restel's home at all. You weren't in Restel's home with the Juke executives. No, I didn't mean to imply that I had been. And I would say whatever. Let's just say of the 10 million people listening to your podcast this week, it's probably that number's about right, right? 10 million? Yeah, 10, yeah, at least, you know, give or take. Um, I would say four have ever seen Shattered Glass. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. I I mean, I had heard of it uh, before you told me to watch it, and I finally got around to it. Stunningly good. Excellent, I, excellent movie. We we talked about it before we started recording. The movie grossed a whopping $2.9 million. Amazing. It makes me you have you seen this you've seen the Star Wars prequels, right? Yeah. It I feel I so much I feel so bad for Hayden Christensen now. Like we all knew the material of the Star Wars prequels is bad, but like he is he stars in this movie as Steven Glass. For people who aren't familiar, I was familiar. I actually I've actually read the Peace and Vanity Fair, the movie was based off, and then I listened to a podcast series called Con Artist. And they did a they did a couple episode stint on on Stephen Glass and Stephen Glass was a reporter for the New Republic who was found out to not even be a plagiarist he just he just made up stories just made up many many stories and it is about his one story in particular and his downfall and Hayden Christensen is fucking nails he is really he is great he he plays the character perfectly because he plays he he shows how this con artist kind of endears himself to people like the, the staff believes in him and, and how everything comes crashing down and how like deeply insecure he is and like deeply twisted he is. And I mean, it's a riveting movie too. It's like an hour and 33 minutes and it flies. It's I almost, I'm probably like you like hating Christensen star Wars movies. He was also in a really awful Kevin Klein movie called my life as a house. Did you ever see that? I did not see that. And I used to think this guy's the worst actor on the planet, right? And I know that's mean, and I would never say that about someone now, but like, that's what I used to think. And then you see Shattered Glass and you're like, oh, like he was Academy Award winning good. Like it was that good of a performance and that movie is that good of a movie and nobody saw it. And the truth of the matter is 
So I teach out here at Chapman University. I teach journalism. And the, my final class, I always show a movie. And I used to show Almost Famous. And I noticed some of the students actually were kind of bored at Almost Famous. So I switched to Shattered Glass. You should fail and, those students who were bored I know, at I Almost should. Famous, by the way. But Shattered Glass is a better movie than Almost Famous. A better, at least a better journalism movie. It's riveting from beginning to end. It's the perfect time. It's all the acting is sharp. It's very, very true to the real story, but without being a boring movie. Um, the dialogue's great. I freaking love everything about that movie. I truly do. It's really good. And it's, I don't, I wasn't like plugged into pop culture at that time. I don't know why it was so, because that, that's a movie that would, it's something that would have hype behind it now, weirdly enough. Because a lot of times we'll talk, especially on the show, we'll talk about this would this movie wouldn't get made now or something like that. This would this movie starring um you know start starring a young a young talented person wouldn't be Hayden Christensen now but start but like with um you know Peter Skarsgård in role Hank Azaria Chloe Sevigny like it's got it doesn't have star stars behind it but something like the existing IP behind it based on this article because that's what a, a movie I'm going to ask you about a bit that's what the insider is, is about too. Um, so something in that same time and that movie was huge and obviously it started Al Pacino and Russell Crowe, but it, it shocks me how, how underseen this was because the story was, was art was like out there. It grossed $77,000 on its opening weekend, limited screens. I've never heard of a movie this good that I could afford. Like I could actually like, <laughs> I could sum it up $77,000 one way or another. And like, that's insane. Like that is absolutely insane. It is. Anyone who listens to this, if you want to have a really good two hours with a great movie, whether you care about journalism or not, Shattered Glasses is gold. It is free on Prime with ads. Uh, oh, you wow. have to you have to sit through uh, a few sessions of like 120 seconds of ads, but worth it. Free free on Prime. Yeah, there you go. We won some awards at the Kansas Film Critics Circle Awards. How about that? I mean, you yeah. What I always say on this show is, if the Kansas Film Critics Circle Awards say it's good, then then it's good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you were in journalism at the time. Was that was the the Stephen Glass story a a big deal in your profession? Yes, huge. Um, we all have these stories that come along that are like holy shit stories, where it's like you got to be careful, you got to be careful, you got to be careful, because we've all had moments as journalists where we screw up, we slip up, we do something that we didn't shouldn't have done, we were lazy, whatever. And it's actually important to have movies like that that remind you, you know you got to be careful and these things can happen. And that story in particular, there was another one. I can't remember the name now uh, involving a New York times reporter who was making stuff up. Do you remember this? And um, I'm going to look it up. And uh, when those things happen, I mean, they, they open your eyes in a major way. So um, yeah, this is just that to a whole, I mean, this, this guy had had legitimate issues. Jason Blair was a New York times reporter and he was, this is back in 03 also. And he was just making stuff up, making scenes up all together, kind of like Stephen Glass was doing. Um, so yeah, eye-opening. And in the movie, the the journalism, the staff kind of rallies around him at mm -hmm. first. I don't want to give like too much away, but there's very much resist like there's a ton of belief in him as a as a person and honest mistake. And and he and he you know, plays it off for a, for a long time before finally coming clean on that is in your experience, I guess at the Tennessean and even at, at SI was our, our journalism 
were you guys a team? Would would that happen if someone is someone is in the shit like that? First of all, it totally could happen. That's one of the things about Shadow Dust. So when I worked at SI, we can just use this as an example. Like you would trust the reporters a lot. So you can fact check a lot, but you can't fact check everything. Like it was actually right. Like you, it would take a real, for example, he made up the refrigerator. He made up them you know, drinking, remember early in the movie, drinking little yeah. bottles. Like it would take a pretty industrious reporter at a magazine to call the hotel. So I'm, I hand in the story, I'm Stephen Glass. I hand in a story for the New Republic and I wrote down my notes and I say, well, they were drinking out of a refrigerator. Most reporters in that case, fact checkers are gonna trust the reporter. They're not gonna say, well, I know you're saying that, but I'm gonna call the hotel. They would do that. They would check with the hotel if Stephen Glass interviewed someone who said they drank bottles at this hotel, but you would trust the reporter. So a lot of this, a lot of publications, even when fact-checking was really, really thorough, like it was at the New Republic, like it was at Sports Illustrated and Time Magazine, all those places, you would trust the reporter to a certain degree. And this guy just totally played the system. Yeah, he says that in the they have the storytelling function in the movie where he's talking to this class, and he basically says that the loophole in the fact-checking system is the reporter's notes and the reporter's sources. And yeah. like basically saying they're putting their trust in you. Yep. And because you you do this, you see it as it's happening in the movie and you realize that he's fabricating this stuff and you're thinking to yourself, how the fuck is he getting away? Like, how is he getting away with this? And then the movie lays it out perfectly for you. I mean, it, again, it is so like well paced and answers any question you have and keeps it really, really simple. There's not really way, not really any wasted space in the movie. Like it is absolutely worth a watch. There's a famous story. I will not name the writer. When I was in Sports Illustrated, I remember um, someone handed in a story, one writer handed in a story, and he was kind of known for exaggerating. And he talked about, I don't remember what it was like, a hot air balloon that was 10 feet off the ground. And the reporter called and said, um, I checked my notes and the balloon was 50 feet off the ground, which is a big difference. And the reporter goes, yeah, that sounds right too. Like, <laughs> you know, like there, there are people who take advantage of the system and you know, it is what it is. So that's, so your top five shattered glass, uh, almost famous, all the president's men, Zodiac. What was five? Frost Nixon. Frost Nixon. Mm -hmm. So I wanna, I wanna do. I don't know if they're your honorable mentions, but I wanna do some movies that I enjoy, and I'm curious. The first, the I, one I might have seen my, them all, just to be clear. It's not I, like I, it, you, know, it, you know, if we don't, I'll just cut. If you haven't, okay. I'll just cut it. One I know you've seen. I think I've asked you about it before. Spotlight. Spotlight for me is I love Spotlight as a film. I think it's just excellent and as someone you again were in we're in the journalism we're in the press when that story broke out big i'm curious your thoughts on that as a journalism movie and just as a as a movie i don't know if you can separate them really i thought it was great i thought it was great and i think anytime you can shine the light on journalists actually doing legit work it's important um i've heard bill simmons before mock mark ruffalo for mark his Ruff. that movie it's fair criticism he's a little over the top but the, uh, uh, their overacting award on the rewatchables is uh, it was first named after after Ruffalo. Yeah, it's funny. But um, I, thought, I love Michael Keaton. I just think that guy's made to be an editor at a newspaper as far as playing the role. Um, he brings an authenticity. I thought it was great. It's not one of my five top five, but be in the top ten. Weirdly rewatchable, despite the content, like despite what they're what they're writing about, because what I they're writing about is, is horrible. I only saw it once, so I uh, I guess I have to watch it again. 
I, I would give it a rewatch. I don't know if it's still on Netflix. That is one I was going to say earlier. I have bought, I think, two DVDs in the last five years because, you know, and one is Spotlight and one is Zodiac because I never want to have to worry about if they're streaming somewhere. Fair enough. Fair enough. And you got to add the cable guy to that one. Oh, uh, Eddie Mur- or uh, Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey? Favorite Jim movie Carrey? Of all time. Yeah. Really? I swear to God. Have you ever seen it? I have actually not. That is the the hole in the Jim Carrey filmography for me. I think I've seen everything by far. That's uh, that's him and Matthew Broderick, right? Isn't Matthew Broderick the? Yeah, it's awesome. That okay. Um, have you seen State of Play? No. So State of Play, I I would recommend you see State of Play, but uh, Russell Crowe is the journalist in that one, and Slob Central. Just the slobbiest, the slobbiest guy. And he's only like, it's like eight years after Gladiator. And it just, you just can't tell. Yeah, I don't think I saw it. All right, I'm looking. I see it here. Russell Crowe, Ben Affleck, uh, Robin Wright. Good one. Uh, I would recommend that. Um, Broadcast News. Sure. Broadcast News is one of my wife's favorite movies. Yeah, I, I, my wife and I watched it recently and I was a huge, huge fan of Broadcast News. And I have to... You made the choice to stick with with written journalism. Mm-hmm. I am a print journalist. Print with print print journalism. Yeah. Was there ever any temptation to try to? Because broadcast news gets into the the t. I I never thought of cable news, especially like now or like that's that's like network news. But I no. never I never thought about that and how much work they're they're doing on on that back end. Was there ever any of that temptation? <laughs> no. The only uh, the funny thing is like. Um... My mom, as an example, who's a wonderful mom, has never read any of my books in full, right? <laughs> never. She doesn't care about sports. It hurts my feelings. It actually hurts my feelings. I'm being sincere. It bothers me. But she's never read any of my books. If I'm on TV for two seconds, it's like I won the Nobel Prize, right? <laughs> if I appear on the Today Show or at Good Morning Football, it doesn't matter what it is, any TV local, Tulsa, Oklahoma, like, oh, my God, I get, you're on TV, you're on TV. Like, it means something to certain people. You know, and like my good friend is John Wertheim, who now does 60 Minutes and Tennis Channel. And I came up with him and we're very good friends. And like I asked him not that long ago, I was like, do you get the buzz of TV of that sort of airport fame? And he always says, maybe if I were 25, but like someone coming up to me and saying, hey, I recognize you. Who gives a shit? But there's a lot of that. Like the TV, I've met many good TV people, but I've also met many people who work in TV who are egomaniacs who live off of being recognized in a supermarket. And I don't want that. I don't want to catch that disease at all. You mentioned 60 Minutes, and I mentioned this earlier. The Insider, Al Pacino. Oh, another great. Another Russell Crowe. I'm great. huge, huge fan of that one. Yeah, excellent movie. Excellent. I mean, Pacino's freaking awesome, always. And, He's uh, incredible. And actually, I got to say, I'm not a huge, huge, huge Russell Crowe guy overall, but he's so good in that movie. And what, what is really cool about that guy, say what you want, versatile as anything, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah, I mean, he goes that gladiator, a beautiful mind, back yeah. to back to back. It's amazing, a- incredible run, incredible run there. Um, the post. Yeah, the post was okay. The post was was okay. It was fine. It was like every now and then. I mean, we do this in writing too. Like something comes along with really good intentions, and it's just a little too much. Like they just, you almost see the over exuberance of the creators of that movie. And they want it to be something. It's like when a movie comes along or, or an album comes along and it's supposed to be one that changes your life. 
And you can tell the producers and creators are thinking, this is really going to be a change your life movie. And if you go in with that ambition, it's very hard to hit. And I think the post was supposed to be a like journalism, capital J movie. And it just wasn't, it was fine. Yeah. I mean, it was, what, it was Tom Hanks is, is Ben Bradley was yeah. the post Bradley was the yeah. older Bradley and Meryl Streep, right? Yeah. Tom Hanks, Meryl Streep. I mean, that whole, I mean, the, uh, deep cash, Jesse Plemons is in that. Um, yeah, just deep, deep, deep. Cast. It was a good movie. It was like yeah. good, but I don't need to see it again. I don't think. Yeah. So are there any, so I always, I might as well like, you know, ring the bell. I mentioned trouble with the curve on this episode. I always mentioned trouble with the curve is the worst sports movie of all time. A, a complete, like, you know, it's just disgusting. Are there journalism movies in that same vein? Oh, and you're going to ask me that. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's funny. Technically, I'll tell you the movie, the journalism. It's not a journalism movie, but depicts a journalist. Have you seen Crocodile Dundee? I have not seen Crocodile Dundee. Basically, you know, it's about a reporter who's tracking the exploits of a outback guy played by, by Paul Hogan. And like, it's a woman reporter and she ends up falling in love with the guy and she ends up dating the guy. And like, they have this love affair and that shit just freaking drives me crazy. It just drives me crazy. I just, I really, the disrespect shown toward uh, women journalists, I know I said this earlier, really bothers me, like really bothers me. Um, so I don't know, that pisses me off. The, like the bad journalist in movies is just, a, is just a, like a big stereotype. So I I found an article (laughs) ranking the 10 worst journalists in, in movies. Okay. Some, some of the notables. Uh, and this is one I was funny. I was just talking about this guy the other day, uh, Richard Thornburg in die hard. So he is the guy who goes and interviews John McClane's kids about the, the terrorist attack that both his parents are being held hostage in on day, day of terrorist attack. Yeah. You're not doing that. I mean, you're not doing that. Your, your girl, Sue Charlton, Crocodile Dundee, on this list. Very proud of her. Um, there are some journalists and truly awful journalists who have no empathy and no sense of compassion. And like every now and then, I suppose they are depicted accurately in a movie. I just think most of us are pretty decent. So I will say that the this list is kind of, it's a mix of characters who are bad and then like bad people. Because number one, did you see Nightcrawler? We would talk about Jake Gyllenhaal earlier, kind of bringing it full, full circle. I did see when, Nightcrawler. He's kind of the sketchier TMZ type guy, just yeah. a complete sociopath. That's a pretty good movie, though. Pretty good movie. Yeah. Uh, in you know, in great performance, just a completely twisted performance. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, well, I, I guess we're. I guess we can just wrap it on uh, on Jake Gyllenhaal just being being weird and twisted. But a um, lot of lot of great journalism movies, uh, and I appreciate yeah. you. I appreciate you pushing me to watch Shattered Glass because I that didn't one. Lie. Yeah, that's that's probably one my wife and I might just revisit that again this weekend because I I mentioned to her this weekend I was like I want to watch this movie for the show and it was like finding the time we had a we had a busy weekend and some stuff some stuff went on and we were like okay we're just you know I'll, I'll watch it I'll watch it on my own I'll watch it like I'm like wrapping up work for the day and midway through I I walked out she was in our kitchen and I was like I really wish we had watched this together because this movie is great. I feel great about that. There's nothing more. I love when you uh, recommend a movie and someone actually is like, oh, that was actually great. You know, you did the same thing with McFarlane USA. There you go. So, yeah, because you're another one. Remember, you got to watch Journeyman. 
Journeyman. So everyone listening, so Journeyman is a boxing movie with uh, with Patty Considine from now from House of the Dragon, and uh, it is it is on the list. I but, saw it on an airplane. I don't know where else you can even watch it. And I watched on an airplane, and I was like, "This is one of the best sports movies I've ever seen," and nobody has seen it. Just like Shattered Glass. Exactly. exactly. Same thing. Yeah. Jeff, this was great. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, tell the folks again where the people can follow you. Tell them about two writers. We we neglected to uh, to mention two writers at the beginning of the show, but it is one of my favorite favorite okay. podcasts. Uh, really enjoy it. Thank you. Well, it's my podcast. It's me and another writer. I, it appears every week wherever you can listen to podcasts and uh, my book. The last folk here is coming out in October and it's, you can pre-order it wherever now. Everyone go check that out. Link to pre-order is going to be in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode of big screen sports, please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcast rate and leave a review for an Apple podcast. You can support the show on Patreon. If you're a baseball fan, check out my interview series from Phenom to the farm that is presented by baseball. America comes at you every other Tuesday. As for big screen sports, we'll be back next Monday. Thanks for listening. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.